everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can find all of our episodes, info about the podcast, and you can sign up for our email list so you can stay up to date on all the exciting conversations that we have coming up in the future with your favorite country music artists. Now, today we're joined by Wade Bowen. His career began about 20 years ago while in college in Lubbock, Texas. Now, during that time, he thought that he was going to do the Nashville route. He was going to move to Music City. He was going to wait tables and he was really going to wait his turn for a career in country music. But something switched while in college and he decided to go a different route. He stayed in Texas and grew his career more organically. Now, as we found out during our conversation, he isn't exactly satisfied with what he's been able to accomplish during his career, but we also found out that he has been able to accomplish quite a bit when you're on the outside looking in. So please enjoy our conversation with Wade Bowen. I wanted to ask about your mom because on your social media, I saw a picture of her, I think, that she was in a musical group back when she was younger. Is that correct? Did I see that? Yeah, she was. She was a she was a, uh, a part of a she was a kind of a background singer for a for a, a guy. I can't remember the name of them. Now you now you're, you're putting me on the spot. She's <laughs> going to be mad at me now. But but they were um, she was kind of a, you know, back in the in that day, uh, it was very common to have you know, the Jordanaires wannabes, right? The, the people that sang background for you, uh, Clyde and the, something, I can't remember, but yeah, oh, she was okay. a part of that. And then, but, but her father, my grandfather, uh, he owned a meat market and uh, worked in the cotton fields on the, on the side, um, you know, doing that stuff. So uh, he, he was, he was really against it. He thought it was kind of back in those days, he thought it was kind of trashy uh, to do that, to be on stage and, you know, wearing the outfit she was wearing and stuff, even though it wasn't. Um, so he, so he kind of discouraged her from doing it, which is in turn probably why she pushed me to do it so much. Uh, she loved me singing. I've always wanted to sing since I can remember. And <clears throat> so she always pushed me, I think because of that reason, cause she, she really wanted to do it and didn't get a chance to do it. So that's why you see, I, I made a gospel record. That's all of her gospel songs that she grew up singing in the church. Yeah. And that's where all of that came from was her passion for music is really, you know, spread down to all of all my, my three sisters love music as much as I do. I'm just the only one who chose to make a living out of it. That's awesome. And your dad isn't necessarily someone who chased music, but paint me a picture of him growing up. And I saw something you talked about was him singing Tom T. Hall to your mom around the house. So was he musical in spirit more than like chasing it as something outside of just in the house? He, he loves music, but he's not musical at all. He can't clap in rhythm. So <laughs> um, that's always our joke. I mean, whenever he sings to us, his favorite song in the world is happy birthday. I mean, he first, he's the first one to call us every time it's my birthday, no matter how old I get and sing in the worst off key version of happy birthday you've ever heard, but it's, <laughs> it's amazing. And he knows he's off key and that's why it's funny. That's his personality. He's very loud, rambunctious. He's always the life of the party. I've nicknamed him party walking. Um, and, and that's what he does, but he loves music. He's the one that, you know, I grew up, so my mom was really big into Elvis and Patsy Cline and 
the Eagles and Credence and, and uh, you know, that kind of music. And then, and then, and then my older sisters, they're, they're, we're, we're real spread out. So they were a big influence on me and they were really big into mainstream country. So they're the ones who drug me around to Alabama concerts and George Strait concerts and Garth Brooks, and <laughs> Alan Jackson and Vince Gill, you know? Right. And then, and then I had my dad who thought we were all crazy because he only wanted to listen to Willie and Waylon and Guy Clark. And now as I've gotten older and really, I, I didn't start writing songs till I was about 17. And that's the music that when I started actually writing is when I, you know, he, he introduced me to Robert Earl Keane when I was going into college and I, it changed my life forever. Uh, when I really started diving into the lyrics, uh, those are the influences that I started kind of uh, going more towards. And, uh, and that's kind of, I think I probably patterned the early part of my career more after those guys than, than the mainstream country or the, the Eagles, Elvis, Patsy Cline things that I was influenced so heavily by my, the women in my life. Right. Yeah. And your sisters as well. I saw that there's a piano that your great grandma used to have that your sisters would sit around and play on and you would sit there and watch them. And now you have that piano and your boys are learning on that piano. So how did that influence your love of music? And, and in turn, how is it influencing your son's love of music now? Yeah, well, my middle sister, Cammie, was the one who played piano. Uh, she was really she is really, really good. And I really thought she would do something with it more. Uh, she just never chose to. But she was she was really talented, is a really talented piano player. And she uh, she had that piano. It was kind of passed down to her originally. And then as she got older and had, had kids and kind of, get, you know, got away from from the music side of it, uh, she she passed the passed it to me because I I started having kids and I, I really, you know, being a being music such a huge part of my life now more than ever um she really wanted me to have it so there's a lot of history in this beautiful piano uh that's i mean i still love it my my older son bruce plays my younger one doesn't um, brock doesn't play he plays drums but yeah bruce plays the heck out of the piano and it's really cool because um i mean i i don't have to push him to play he he goes in there and i'll just i'll be in the kitchen and i'll hear even last night, I mean, almost every single day I'll hear him in there playing for at least 20, 30 minutes just because he gets the urge and can't stand to not to not play. So that's a, that's where the music comes from. I remember when I was 17 and teaching myself guitar so that I could write songs. I remember not being able to put it down. I remember my mom coming in there saying, hey, it's, you know, it's midnight. You know, I know you're a soft or junior or whatever I was in high school. But <laughs> like I know, I know you're you're grown up but you need to go to bed you know you're going to be exhausted if you don't put that guitar down so i i taught myself to play guitar but i only taught myself to play guitar well enough so i could write songs i cannot play lead to save my life so right that's what i did and you've talked about your writing now and sort of throughout your career you like to write about the things that are difficult to write about and so back then at 17 when you started writing were they deep lyrics or were you just more writing about your experiences at that age? Yeah. At that time I was writing about things I didn't know about. I thought I knew about them, but at that time, when you first start writing songs, you're, you're just trying to catch a melody and a lyric and try to learn. Um, and that's, I think that's really important for young songwriters to really, you know, I was, I was taking songs that I loved and, 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 and almost taking them apart the way you would a car, you know, right. why did they put this here? Why did they put that there? And 
you know, the structure, you know, verse, chorus. Sometimes it starts with a chorus. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't have a bridge. Those little things that you that you can learn from your heroes and learn from your influences. That's what I was doing in the early stages. So I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily focused on lyrics as much as I was just trying to get the song written. And then, and then I started uh, having things happen, you know, uh, a really big heartbreak and those things like that, that started really influencing the way that I wrote. And, and then it becomes a point where once you kind of know how to write, then you, you can't help but put that into song. That's, that's, Ray Wiley Hubbard taught me that, and he's taught so many that, that, you know, it's just embedded in your soul and you have to get it out somehow, right. in some way. Uh, that's what true songwriters do. You have to, you know, when, when something's affecting you, good or bad, you have to put it into song and get it out. And so that's what I, that's what I started doing as I, as I started kind of getting, getting into music, getting into songwriting heavily. That's, I learned how to take a song that I love to write and put it into lyrics. And you did go to college. But I saw a post on Instagram where you said, I think you were taking accounting maybe, and you went for like the first test and you were like, nope, not doing this. And so you switched over to PR. But when you went to college, was that something that you were like, were you already focused on music? Was college just something to make your parents happy or to just fill some time along the way? Was music at that point what you wanted to do? When I went to college, I did it because my dad wanted me to, and I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. I knew I wanted to play music, but at that time, I thought I was going to have to um, uh, go to go to school, get my degree, and then move to Nashville, wait tables, and wait my turn, learn how to you know work work my way up the ladder there. That's all right. I heard. And then uh, I saw Robert Rokin play my freshman year of college, and I. I, I said, that's, that's what I want to do. He's doing it. He doesn't live in Nashville. And, and then I started noticing some of my other buddies like Pat Green and Jack Ingram. And those guys were, had already started their careers and were doing, you know, they weren't as successful as they were going to be eventually. But at that time, when I was 19, they were, they were playing shows and they were playing the bars. And I thought that was really cool. I was like, why the heck can I do that too? You know, I can already live my dream. Let's go do that. So I met some buddies in college in Lubbock and, and, we did the age old story, get in the garage and jam for a while and then beg bars to let us play. And so it changed the path of what I thought I was going to do. I knew I wanted to play music, but I only got a college degree because my dad wanted me to. And I knew it was important to him. And and I'm glad that, that he pushed me to do that. You know, I'm really proud of my degree that I have I'm hanging on the wall. You know, I'm really proud of that. I think the public relations uh, major really helped me. Um, looking back, I probably should have gone to a music school or something to help me, but, uh, the, the influences and everything that I had that I learned at tech, uh, I'll never trade, you know, I'll never be able to pay that school and that town back for all it gave to me. It's such a musical town. doesn't get much credit for that, but it really is a great musical town. Right. And one of the venues that is there that I think you still play pretty regularly is the blue light. And that's a venue, I believe, that through college, I saw that you played every Tuesday night acoustic sets. And so throughout that time, how did that help just build your love and passion for music and the realization that this was possible, that you could do this? Yeah, I, I think at the same time when I was trying to write songs is when I started, it was also trying to figure out how to put a band together and how to put a show together and 
how to play songs that people want to hear. And so I, I learned cover songs um, that I knew would entertain the crowd, you know, and they would get us gigs. And so that really helped my songwriting also. It was, you know, I think so many kids nowadays, they're, they almost think it's not cool to play cover songs uh, at your shows. And I, I really think that's a huge mistake. I think very early on, you should be playing those cover songs, those songs that influence you so that you can feel what they do to the crowd. So you can understand the point of them and, and also learn from them as a writer. And so that's what I did in the early days. The blue light uh, was a huge part of my early career, just because they gave us a place to, to kind of learn and made our, make our mistakes. And, you know, I think they liked the fact that we had a lot of friends and when we played there, we packed the bars and we helped them make a little bit of, bit of money. So, and, and in turn, they, they get, they were really patient with us and gave us a chance to, to make some money and, and to, I mean, I, I used to make a hundred bucks. Uh, me and my guitar player made a hundred bucks each and we thought it was a million dollars. You know, <laughs> It was amazing. So it, it, was, it was a good time. I'll never, I, I'll, I'll never forget it. That's awesome. And you have the blue light. You also have Billy Bob's Texas and Gruen. Is that how you say Gruen Hall? Green. Green, Green Hall. Yeah. So venues like that, they're back home, close to home where you grew up. You played them back then and, and you continue to play them. They're regular venues for you. And so what is that like to be able to go back to those venues? And do you reminisce when you go back or does life move so quickly that it's really, it becomes another show for you? Uh, no, I always reminisce. I mean, I, I try to take everything in stride and, and not never take it for granted when you get to play special places like, like those, they're not special because you played them. I mean, they're special because they're rooms that are, they're legendary for a reason, you know? So anytime you get a chance to be on those stages uh, in legendary places like that, you, number one, you don't take it for granted, but you also embrace the moment um, because it's just another added memory to your career that, you know, is going to be a magical night. You never know what's going to happen on those stages because they're, they're magical for those reasons. And so, um, yeah, we reminisce a lot. We, we look, you know, we, we look around and see our names on the walls and those things, but at the same time, we go out and try to uh, attack the show just like we do, uh, every single night, try to play the best show we can and try to create another magical memory for ourselves and for our fans that go there. So those are special rooms and we're, we're glad that they still will, still want us to come in. <laughs> and so you started out with West 84 within a band. That was your band when you first started out. And then you went off to do the solo thing. And within that time, was there ever the thought of going to Nashville or along that time where you always, did you know that, no, I'm not going to take that route. I want to take this more organic route of being able to build myself up the way, you know, you talked about your heroes that you listened to growing up, did it? Well, you got to remember when I first started with West 84 and all those, when I, when I, when I was first starting the music scene that is here in Texas was not what it was, what, what it is now. Right. It was very, it, it was more sparse. There was fewer places to play. Um, it, 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 the 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 thought of original music in a lot of places was not as, as as extravagant as it is now. So so it was kind of a weird time because yeah, I always thought even though I had my band, um, I really honestly deep down thought I would eventually move to Nashville. I recorded my early records in Nashville, um, thinking I would eventually move there, have to move there, and. 
but instead I watched this scene grow and, and watched it grow not only in, in this region here, but uh, all over. I watched it slowly grow into, you know, all of a sudden these, these places are throwing stages in the corners and um, getting sound equipment and all these things are figuring out ways to get, get creative to figure out ways to bring us in. And when I say us, I mean all of us. Like this, there was a bunch of people coming up at that time, Cross Canadian Ragweed and Coup de Gras and Jason Bone and the Stragglers and Stoney LaRue and Randy Rogers Band. And all of us were, were kind of figuring it out along with everybody else in the scene. So I think I think being a part of that and not really knowing it, but feeling it grow and, and constantly having more shows to play, I think I did it without even thinking about it. We just stayed uh, local and you know, watched it happen and we're a part of it. And now it's really cool to see these young kids have places to play and, and, and uh, go all over the country and all over the world with, with original music and getting the chance to get on stage and play their original music, even though they may have 20 fans in the crowd. Um, it gives them a chance to start, start their careers and start their dreams. And so uh, I didn't have that at first. And, and, and that's really cool to be a part of that and watch it grow. So yeah, I, I always thought I would have to move to Nashville, but I never had to. I stayed and kept working my ass off and, and it worked out. And was there a moment along the way that you can remember sort of the realization that it would work out without going to Nashville or has it just been sort of a steady climb? There wasn't necessarily like one year or one moment that kind of flicked that switch for you. I, I just have always worked. I've always worked really hard and I've always toured really hard and I've always made it a point to work hard at my songwriting and just try to let everything else happen. I mean, I was on a major label with Sony records with, with, uh, it was BNA, then it was Columbia. I was there for about three years and, you know, I had, I had the big publishing deal, the big record deal. I had everything right in front of me and right. kind of the world, world in my hands thing, everything I'd ever dreamt of. And uh, unfortunately for all of us, it wasn't their fault or mine. It was just bad timing all the way around. I still have tons of friends from that, from that situation. And I learned so much from it. Um, and I don't, I never, I don't take it as a negative at all that it didn't work out. I think everything happens for a reason. And so I think I'm bigger and stronger and better because of what we went through. And since then I, I went through a bitter, angry phase after that. And now being on the other side of all of that, um, you know, I, I, I feel like it's really made me now at this age stage of my career, I feel like it's made me bigger and, and, and better and stronger to handle what's whatever's going to happen. And I'm, you know, I'm still diving in head first in the pool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still working harder than I ever have. And uh, that's a good feeling to know 20 something years into my career that I'm, you know, all the highs and lows and everything that I've had, I, I'm still I honestly think I'm working harder now than I ever have. And, and that's, that's pretty cool. Just, just now I have a lot more knowledge and wisdom <laughs> than I did when I was 25. Yeah. And I was wondering about the record label situation because on social media, sort of what fans see, they only see the positive side of it when someone signs a deal and that positive side to the business. But when you're, being dropped by a label or leaving a label or switching labels like how difficult is that as an artist throughout that transition to kind of internalize that and come to a point where you can move forward in a positive motion well i think it's real easy in a lot of those situations to feel like you've let yourself down 
like you let your team down. We chose to leave the, the label that we didn't get dropped, but still, I still felt like I had uh, not done it right. And I, you know, there's still part of me that feels that way. We probably could have done some things differently. And I know the label could have done things a lot differently. Um, but it's, it's, it's just part of living and learning. I mean, Willie Nelson's been on like 56 different labels, you know, when you <laughs> yourself that, you're like, mm, it's just part of the business. And I think when you're, when you're young and, and, and starting this career and you're in, and you're young and kind of naive to it all, you think that, you know, one record deal is going to change your life. And sometimes it does for people, you know, sometimes you can, you know, you can pull a George Strait and be on MCA records your entire career, but that's the very rare case. And um, most people, you know, are on multiple labels depending on their situation and what they need from their career at that time. And so that's what I've, Done. I've been on multiple independent labels, you know, right now working with 30 Tigers as a, as an independent label distribution partner. I mean, there it's, you know, it's a different day and age than what it was 30, 40 years ago. You know, it's, you don't have to depend on a label on getting a record deal anymore to survive and, yeah, and, and to thrive. You don't have to depend on them. So I think that the labels have become more, more artist friendly in a lot of those regards. And I think the artists have become a little less, hardcore on the labels as well i think they're all kind of hey we need to kind of work together and figure this out and um i think a lot of times people are you know you got the parker mccollum who's who's kicking ass doing great i love the guy to death and you know he's got the 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 dream situation there uh with his major label and, and then you've got people like cody johnson and co wetzel that are kind of doing a hybrid version of a major label deal. So it, it, I think the, the, the opportunities are wide open right now because music is so wide open more than ever. Well, yeah, exactly. Talk about sort of the transition that you've seen in Nashville because you talked about, you know, in college and the thought of I have to go wait tables and go to Nashville and do the whole thing. And it feels like it was a lot tighter, like, the record labels had control of the business basically. And it feels like it's switched over, especially in Nashville to where the artists are gaining more control of their music. Is that true? Have you seen that switch throughout your career? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, I just, I don't know if it's control. I hate to use the word control because right. I, I think that labels, there's a lot of people that are, you know, there, or there's some bad people that want to control, but I think for the most part, um, labels want, want, want you to succeed the way you want to succeed. They just want to try to help and make it work. Um, right now, the changes that are happening are because of the freedom of music. You, you can make records so cheap nowadays. You can make, you can record albums so easily now. You can record music so easily. People are embracing TikTok for crying out loud, you know, <laughs> which aren't even good recordings. They don't even sound good, but, but, but they're becoming stars on TikTok. So I don't know if it's necessarily the audio quality anymore that people care about. They just want to latch onto something. And it's always been a, an age old thing that people want to be the first to discover a new artist um, and tell their friends about them. That's, that's never going to go away. And now they have access to do that a lot easier. So you can record music, you can write music, you can play music, you can live your dream a lot easier than it used to be. I mean, look at the Disney channel for crying out loud. They have shows, TV shows about kids making records and becoming these huge stars. And they have a multiple, multiple versions of those shows. They right. make it sound and look so easy because it is such a more common thing. I, I still think it's very hard and difficult to become a superstar 
but I think that the labels, um, you know, they, they kind of have, a, a, they have a disadvantage nowadays from what they used to as far as control. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, you can really make some noise on, on your own and gain some interest from some labels and let them kind of help you once, once you get to a certain point, a lot of these younger artists, they're, they're developing their, their followings and their careers are happening. I mean, Luke Combs is a great example of a guy who built it from ground zero on his own. Yeah. And then and now is now utilizing the, the major label to really become the massive superstar that he is there. There is a, you have to remember whether you're a fan of music or an artist themselves, there is a ceiling on, on a career when you're independent and on your own. There, there, there just is. There's no way to avoid that. When you make that switch to becoming, you know, on the major scale, uh, the ceiling goes away, which can be a good thing. It can also be a really bad thing because you can kind of lose focus and lose control of, of everything. So, like I said, sorry to be long-winded about it. No, it's, it's all it's good. A, it's a really complicated answer to that question because music is so, it's like the Wild West right now. I mean, it's just it's all over the place, but I do think it's cool that, that, that artists can, can constantly work on their careers and chase their dreams right now without having to wait on somebody else to give them the, the backstage pass, you know, like you see in the movies, like we want to sign you with a cigar and a whiskey. (laughs) And you had an album back when I think you were about 19 years old, just for fun. That was your first record, I believe. Um, and that's one that sort of is staying in the past. And a lot of artists I talk to, they have that, they have that album they recorded early on that stays there. And now we talk about the newer artists that, you know, kind of blow up on TikTok, and they might not have that, but for you and for other artists, is that an important thing to have, to have that first music that isn't necessarily going to come back out, but it helped lead you to who you wanted to be? Uh, I would say yes and no. I, I wish I'd have been more patient. Um, I try to tell younger artists to, to be more patient, you know, uh, a recording is forever. A live show is just one night. You can, right. You can get hammered and play three songs and ruin the entire show. And it's not going to ruin your career, you know, <laughs> if you play one night, but if you, if you, uh, if you, record I, you know, recordings are a part of your life and they're a part of your career forever. And so uh, I try to encourage people to make sure you you're patient with it make sure it's right. When you do record, that's why I'm not a believer in the TikTok thing. I think, you know, I've, I've yet to see one that really was prepared and ready for to be successful and ready to record and ready to, to go out and play live shows. The ones I have seen, they, they, they fix, they some sometimes figured out, but it, it's very rare. I, I think it, you know, it, it, this, what, you know, any, any business, any, anything you choose to do with your life, it takes time to learn. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. may be talented as, as you may be the most talented person walking the planet when it comes to music, but it, it does not mean that you're ready to jump on stage until you've done it. You have to get shows under your belt. You have to get studio time under your belt. You have to, you have to experience a lot of things before you can call yourself prepared and ready and good. So I think that's what we're lacking right now. A lot of, I think because it is so easy to record that um, a lot of people are putting stuff out there that shouldn't be yet. Right. And along this journey, I wanted to talk about 2018. 
2018 was a very difficult year for you and you had some, some voice problems. What was it? There was some bleeding within your vocal cords? Yeah, I had uh, some leaky blood vessels that wouldn't stop hemorrhaging on one side of my vocal cords. So it was causing them to be paralyzed. Right. Now on social media, you wouldn't have known it going through 2018 because you didn't post anything about it. The only reason I knew was because you did a little uh, docu-series on it in 2019. Now, during that time, and even now as an artist doing it so long, when that happens, what's the feeling? Is there a feeling of sort of your identity being stripped away if you can't do this? Or are you at a point in your career where you're comfortable enough with what you've done and who you are as a person that if music was to be taken away, it wouldn't be this huge shock. It would be sort of, okay, I'll go do this. I'll go in this lane. I'll go in that lane. Or is it a true thing of identity being stripped away? And who am I if I don't have this? Well, I think it's a lot of both. I, at the time, I, I wasn't really sure what was happening. They couldn't quite figure it out. So we couldn't really make any posts because we didn't know when it was going to be over. We didn't know if I was ever going to be able to sing again. Um, I wasn't real sure if I was going to have a voice or be able to come back from it. Right. So we didn't really have any answers to give anybody. And we didn't want to, we didn't want to freak everybody out. I didn't want everybody to cancel their shows on me. So it was a really difficult time because I wanted to tell people why we were canceling shows, but I couldn't. Oh, okay. Uh, that was really difficult for me, but I just, I didn't know what was going on. And so, uh, that's the way we handled it. But I think I, yeah, I was really shocked and really scared. And then, um, you know, was brought to tears multiple times during that time thinking, you know, scared that I may not be able to sing again. Cause I love being on stage. I love being, I love singing. I love writing. You can't write without, I mean, I guess you, you can write without melodies, but I don't. And right. So, but, but as with anything in my life, if it was taken away from me tomorrow, um, I'm completely confident in, and, and who I am as a person to be able to go figure out the next step as we did with the, uh, when we were taking, when my career was taken away from me for the pandemic, I was yeah. one of the first ones that jumped out with, with the live streaming before everybody was doing it. We were one of the first ones to jump out there because we all got creative and we figured it out. And, you know, I ended up having a pretty decent 2020 financially because I got creative and figured it out. So I have no doubt that no matter what happens in my life, uh, what tragedies or anything brought my way that I'm strong enough to figure it out. I have no doubt about that. And you came out of 2020 with a new EP. So talk about that year of 2020. And you kind of mentioned that it almost rejuvenated you. You're almost coming back with a, a brand new attitude and a, a sort of drive to get out there and continue to do this. It's almost like a fresh start for you. So is that sort of what you took away from 2020? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell everybody I'm I'm like a I'm like a racehorse. I'll run myself to death if you don't pull the reins back. And so that's what I was doing. I I didn't realize it at the time, but I was doing that. And so the silver lining of that crazy year, which I would never say um, the good out of it, because I you know so many lost their lives and so many people have struggled with with this virus and with with the pandemic and just the, the depression and all the all the mental aspect of it. Also, I, I would never say that it's it's good that I went through it, but I will say that I try to find the positive in everything. And for me, uh, 
I really needed that time home. I needed that time with my kids. I needed that time with my family. And also needed that time for my career to just uh, take a break. And, and I clocked out creative-wise for a long time. I clocked out from the business side of it. And it really gave me a chance to hit the reset button and figure out what is really important. And I'd, I feel like, I'll be honest, I kind of lost touch with myself as an artist. I was I kind of lost touch with who I, what I wanted to do and what kind of music I wanted to do. And I'd almost gotten to where I didn't really love music anymore because right. I was so lost. And so I, I, I love music again. You know, I, I love writing again. I love listening. I drive around listening to stuff again. I'm just, um, I, I love it. And, and that's a different feeling. And so, uh, you know, I've made some changes in my business and, and made some changes in my career since, since having that time off. And I, I really feel like I'm, more confident, um, stronger and better than I've ever been. And I just, you know, I'm writing more than I've ever written. I've just released an EP and I've already got another record in the can that's going to come out in 2022. I mean, it's, I've never done this before in my career and that's a good feeling. No matter what comes out of it, I feel like some good things are ahead. And with the EP, before I mentioned your writing that you sort of like to write about the things that are hard to write about, but I heard you talk about this EP that is maybe a bit more positive than you're used to. Well, yeah, I actually recorded a, a, an entire record during, during the pandemic because I was bored. <laughs> um, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it'll ever come out because it's, it's all about our feelings we had during the pandemic and you know, it's kind of a, a kind of a, a tough listening album. And so I chose not to, to put it out. And instead, I, I started trying to write more positive stuff. Um, you know, the song that we released first, When Love Comes Around, is a very up-tempo, happy, uh, feel-good song, which, which I don't have a whole lot of those in general in my career. But I think, I think the world really needs those songs right now and songs like Be You. And, you know, it just needs... Uh, you know, the title track where phones don't work. I, I think that's kind of the common theme. Like, Hey, we all, we all kind of got away from the hustle and bustle of our phones and everything for a while. And it felt good, you know, like let's remember those things. And um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say this record overall is a happy, happy, joyful, joyful. I don't think you're ever going to get that from me, Yeah, but, but I do feel like it's more positive and, and more um, has, has more, good reflection than bad, you know, and, and, and that's a, that's a good feeling to have. I think people need that right now. And the song, the track trouble is you wrote with Steve Earl. Now talk about the bucket list uh, memory that that was. And just at this point in your career, if you're writing with someone like that, do you still get nervous or are you pretty confident going oh, yeah. in? No, no, I got super nervous. I, I've going back to, you know, confidence right now and trying to feel like or feeling like I'm better than I've ever been. I've also gotten that way because I've conquered some fears. You know, I, I've crossed some bridges that I probably didn't want to or didn't think I was strong enough to because I was so lost. Um, and and I, I, you know, conquered some fears. And that was one of them. You know, I had to write with my hero, one of my biggest heroes over Zoom for crying out loud. Right. I've never met Steve Earle. And here I am about to write with him and introduce myself over Zoom. I mean, it's just crazy world that we live in now. And uh, the fact that he wanted to do it was what I kept focusing on. Like, 
okay, cool. He's not, nobody's forcing him to do this. He wants to do this. He does this a lot. And when I got in there with him, he, he made me feel very comfortable. You could tell he'd done it a bunch with a bunch of young idiots like me that, <laughs> that, that, uh, that are big, he, you know, big influences of him. So uh, it, it's, it was really cool, man. I, I, normally zoom rights are a lot shorter, but with Steve, it was, it was really long. We were on there for like over three hours and uh, he was telling me stories and I was asking him all these questions and it was really, really fun. He's, he's, he was, he's really into, uh, you know, he's a genius. I don't, I don't know if people understand what all he's really doing, but he's doing Broadway writing. He's doing uh, TV show writing. He's doing uh, movie screenwriting. I mean, he's doing wow. it all there from his house, you know, speaking of figuring things out when a pandemic hits, he was just knocking stuff out. So um, yeah, it, it, he, you're always af kind of afraid to meet your heroes because you don't want them to ruin it for you. But so far, you know, I've gotten to write. I got to write and record with Guy Clark, which was one of my biggest, uh, one of my favorite things I've ever done in my career. And now to add Steve Earl to that bucket list was, and it goes so well. And then actually record the track. And yeah, you know, I, I sent him a video of like an iPhone video of me in the studio behind this speakers, just a little, you know, 10, 15 second clip of it. And his response back was, that's great. You know, so <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's been cool that he's still a part of the song, even after he wrote it. It's, it's just been, I can't say enough great things about him. That's awesome. And you mentioned a album coming in 2022. Is that going to be completely original stuff or is there stuff being carried over from the EP to that album? No, it's all original stuff. I've actually, uh, it's the first time I've ever written every single song on the record. And, uh, uh first time I produced the record my, myself. So, oh, wow. um, once again, conquering my fears and diving in head first, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I just, like I said, I'm just, I just love music right now. If you know, people may hear this record and be like, wow. Okay. Don't ever produce a record on yourself ever again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and that's okay. I don't really care. I'm just enjoying music and having a blast writing it and playing it and singing it. It's just, it's just so fun. And your boys are getting older and I see on your socials that they are very into music as well. So how does that help drive you at that point, seeing them getting into it so much and seeing them enjoy it? My theory is a dad, right or wrong. I don't, you know, who knows how to be a dad? Who knows what the correct way is <laughs> yeah. um, the best you can. And my theory with my kids has always been to just introduce them to as much as possible and see what, see what sticks to the wall, you know, and uh, they're, they're, they're both completely different from each other. One's a total, he reads books and smart and studies and plays piano and very creative, sweet soul. And then the other one's a total train wreck, drummer, football player, bull rider, <laughs> uh, you know, all sports all the time. Um, uh, and completely sweet as well. So uh, I don't ever push them to play music. If they want to do it, then great. I'm all, obviously all for that. Um, but, you know, I really, I really, you know, I just want them to chase a dream. And and I, I hope they learn, if they learn anything from me, I hope they learn that you gotta, you gotta have balls and you gotta go for your dreams and chase them. Uh, all you can and chase them down without every every bone in your body and just just fight like hell for them and um 
hopefully no matter what they choose that they'll they'll remember that and and that's that's all that matters to me that's awesome and with how you have chased this career when you look back at what you've been able to accomplish simply through hard work and pushing through like how proud are you of what you've been able to do well to be honest with you man i'm i'm i wouldn't say i'm proud I, i'm i'm still in the trenches as much as i ever probably more than i've ever been so right um i don't really want to think about what i've built this because i'm not satisfied at all like i'm I'm, I'm nowhere near satisfied of what I thought I would achieve at this point. I feel like I got a long way to go. And I feel like, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm further along than these young, younger artists that are 25 years old, but uh, they're not going to outfight me. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not an into, I'm not into settling right now. I'm, I'm still as hungry as I've ever been, probably more hungry than I've ever been. So, so I, I don't really have a whole lot of time for reflection right now. Do you think there'll ever be, do musicians ever have time for reflection or is it, are you always chasing the next thing up until, you know, the grave comes? Like, is there ever a time where you see yourself stopping and not hitting the stage? Um, I, I've always said, if I stop, the only reason I'll ever stop is because I'm not enjoying it anymore, which I don't see that happening, but who knows? I, I, I think, I think there will be a time in my career where I can, settle down and hit cruise control. And that'll be a good feeling. Um, I, I think there will come a time when I can do that. And that, that'll, that'll be fun. Um, but it doesn't, I, I don't know why people say they're, they're retiring. You know, I think it's just a marketing scheme. But um, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm, I'm not settling right now for anything right now. So um, when that day comes, I'm sure it'll, it'll hit me and I'll probably settle down a little bit more and spend some time with my wife and go on more trips and take a deep breath more often. But right now, you know, I'm, I'm, we've had many discussions about this next phase of my career and my wife and I, that is, and she's, she's all in and, you know, she says, go for it. You know, she'll be here and keep the kids taken care of and everything go chase your dream and do it and, and uh, so that's what we're doing i don't know how long that could be one year it could be it could be 10 more years it could be 20 more years until i'm comfortable enough to hit cruise control and just settle in thank you once again so much for joining us and thank you to wade for stopping by and sharing his story be sure to check out his ep where phones don't work wherever you stream your music Please also be sure to check out our new website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can find our episodes, info about the podcast, and more importantly, sign up for our email list so you can stay up to date on all the exciting conversations that we have coming up in the future with your favorite country music artists. Thanks once again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.